You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. You've bought your tickets. The ushers are about to open the doors. Yes, the projection has smicha is about to start. But first, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card. And you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you, as a retailer, can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company, and they truly stand by their product, and they'll help you with live, stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. Clear the aisles. The projectionist has Micha. I'm here with Yitzhak Kolakowski. And as Black History Month proceeds, just as we did last year, Yitzhak, we are going to highlight films that we believe are significant about the history of the African-Americans in the United States and in perhaps throughout the world and bring to light uh, some films that that help describe the arc of movement of what occurred in the United States till, of course, the civil rights movement and beyond, and how films reflected that. Um, Yitzhak, I think you've got uh, an interesting place to start here on this. Um, and you're highlighting a director slash actor who um, I know from the uh, reruns of Amos and Andy, uh, that I used to watch when I was a kid growing up in Memphis, the character actor who played Andy, uh, Spencer Williams, and, and and your knowledge of film history led you to discovering that he was at the forefront of the African-American films that were being made uh, in the 30s and 40s, primarily and almost directly for Black audiences. Uh, these were films that were being released and shown only in the urban area theaters uh, that Blacks populated. And they're looking at things uh, from a distance of 40, 50, 60, 70, sometimes 80 years. Uh, and we're looking at it, what does it say? And what are the messages as a work of art? Everything that was being produced and still is, is about putting posteriors in the seats, about bringing people in and knowing where those people are and if 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 the film doesn't earn back the monies that were invested in it, then no other films will be made like it, and it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and therefore, we have to understand that it isn't about the inner thoughts or ideas of the auteur or the writer. What we're talking about is the knowledge of everyone involved of how can we make a product that will sell to a specific audience. 
And in your case, they realized that there was an audience, especially as the 40s and 50s um, started to advance into the late 50s. And 60s. these films were catered to the black audience. They they probably were not even seen by most of white America. And Yitzchak, you've discovered uh, Spencer Williams' role in uh, directing and writing uh, two of them that you want to highlight for us. And, and acting. He was, and he acting. Was and and the, the truth is you can't you can find the Amos Nandy episodes very easily on, on YouTube. Such an embarrassment about them that you that that you that, that it was sort I, of like... I think that I, I I don't think you need to edit it out because I think that's more of a a an urban legend that's gone around the same thing about the you know that that the Bill Cosby bought up the rights to the little rascals and and none of that was true. Um, the same thing here. These these things they came into the public domain, and they uh, Amos and Andy, I mean, came into the public domain, and and uh, just there wasn't maybe much commercial uh, need for it. But I I remember maybe twenty years ago on television there were a lot of commercials, uh, you know, selling I think it was. E- VHS cassettes of, of Amos and Andy show. So maybe it was 30. They were trying to sell on television in New York, you know, classic episodes of Amos and Andy. But the, these movies, I was always aware of his earlier films. You know, that's kind of how he got the, the role of Andy, because of course we all know originally Amos and Andy on the radio were played by white men. And when they, and they actually made one movie called Check and Double Check in blackface in 1930 and then when it came to television in the 50s they realized they you know they had to actually cast actual black men to play Miss Nandy and they were they had heard of Williams because of his career in the black cinema and that's how he got this role of Andy and and it became so famous for him that when the New York Times wrote his obituary uh, they only mentioned his role as Andy and Amos and Andy and totally ignored the fact that he himself was a filmmaker, really an auteur. He was a director, screenwriter, and actor in quite a few movies. And, and I also was aware of these movies in my youth because I would collect these catalogs that would sell public domain movies. I think it was called Video Yesteryear. It's long out of business. And I would just read the titles and short descriptions of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of movies that they had for sale. I think ridiculously high price. It was something, you know, like $20 for public domain movies that, you know, a lot of them you could pick up in the grocery store for two, three dot org or, or on YouTube and other places. I finally, uh, you know, at, 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 you know, got a chance to look at two of the movies that, Williams himself made one both of them he wrote the screenplay uh, or story and acted in and one of them he directed and two very different types of movies um, nothing you know as far as you know looking at film in general nothing particularly special but knowing where they came from they're actually quite incredible achievements movie i don't know i i don't know if you know on, on jewishpodcast.org for for the yeshiva of newark i don't know if we, it, it should be included in the the title of the movie should be included was the blood of jesus is the name of the movie 
and he um and he made this movie with all amateur cast with a budget of five thousand dollars which translate that to today so 80 something years later 82 years later 83 years later uh he made this movie in 1940 uh so it would be about a hundred thousand dollars which still is pretty low budget for a movie um you know if you go back to that time you know a year later two years later casablanca you know a higher end movie was made for about a million dollars made some question was a little bit under a little over a million i was trying to find what the budgets were for a lot of the movies that i'm more familiar with from monogram and prc and others uh i'm sure they were more than five thousand thinking about blood of jesus is that uh this movie was made for five thousand dollars but it grossed many many times that over and it had a very long staying power even though again it's not a high quality movie because what can you make for five thousand dollars but considering that you know it had uh, a lot of talent in it it had special effects and it was a story and a very uh, maybe the story was kind of weak but it was a, a morality tale where it, it opens up with um the woman playing williams's wife the character williams played his wife she's getting baptized with the baptist church out in a lake somewhere and they ask her well where's your husband and well he's out hunting they say he's out hunting on a sunday to find some religion and he's not interested in it and they realize that also he's been stealing but he it's out of desperation that when you know he was he had his bag of the game that he caught hunting that he shot and he told the the sister from the church that this was uh rabbits but they were pretty big rabbits so they realized they were hogs and he said well they're wild hogs and the wife said no there are no wild hogs around here you're you're shooting somebody's livestock and you know he was he was uh you know feeling bad about that he realized but he said what could i do you know we we that's how you ate tonight you know was just because i i shot these hogs so there's a lot of drama in there and he, and it's happening of course in the deep south or somewhere in the yeah. south yeah and, right and uh so basically the the wife is the religious one um spencer's character raz is the irreligious one right yeah a lot, a lot of uh, reviews i saw online claim he's an atheist i don't see there's anything theological he's just a lazy fellow just doesn't he wants to go he wants to enjoy himself he's lazy he doesn't feel like getting up and going to church or anything and um so meanwhile just accidentally he he drops his gun and it and it shoots his wife yeah right and it and the and the bullet goes right through her in onto a uh, and hits a picture of jesus on the wall all right so in this pogo like swamp area uh, as you're saying, Yitzchak, the authorities are not called in to investigate the shooting. There is a doctor, uh, as I understand, that does come to the scene, but the yes, woman mentioned. There's no, there's no. Uh, you don't actually see the doctor, but the the ladies from the church who are sta- standing around singing and praying over her. Um, you know, mentioned that the doctor, you know, said that the bullet. Actually, actually, that's how we find out that the bullet went right through her. And so that's the exposition. In other yeah. words, in place of showing it because they didn't have the technical means, 
what Spencer Williams does is he has the sort of like the Greek chorus of the choir of her friends sort of give exposition to the audience of what's occurring right. that right. that she's that that the bullet has gone through her and now her soul is ascending uh Right. So that, so and and they they're telling her, you know, you, they're telling him, you know, because he's obviously distraught that he shot his wife. They're telling him, you know, you, you have to pray and, and God can do a miracle. And meanwhile, when he steps out, they said there's no chance. She's she's a goner, you know, because of that. So they're 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 being somewhat hypocritical, maybe more than that, of saying, you know, telling him to have faith and to find religion. But meanwhile, they themselves really don't think that there's any hope and they uh and what's what's fascinating is is that the challenge is not to raz right the no. challenge is really to 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 the spirit of the dead woman who is somehow right. who is somehow taken by an angel i guess to the gates of saint peter but but on, on, instead well, of going saint peter we see we see a, an angel climbing a ladder so that's the the image of jacob's ladder and then the soul is taken to be tempted between the devil and and the uh right. that's a very interesting theology isn't it i mean normally we say you know even people that die uh inadvertently accidentally before their time you know the, we've seen films i think um the pixar made a, a film called soul recently about someone who was taken before his time and can they come back and what they can do um but here you have a, a soul that's taken before its time uh, seemingly a righteous soul and that righteous soul is now tempted by it, the devil it, yeah so she she she's presented with three roads either to go back to earth to go to heaven or to go to hell and the and interestingly when they show they have a cross that's shown several times that's kind of a uh, directional signpost and so to the left it says hell and to the right it says zion instead of heaven and uh, but anyway hell is represented as that she is tempted really it seems there's a fellow named judas that the devil sends he gives her some nice clothes and says you're going to come to the city and you're going to get a job and you're going to make a lot of easy money doing very little work. It seems to be obviously she's going to be a, she's going to be a call girl of sorts. Yeah, yeah. So and and but this is not in real life. This is in her vision and her near death experience that she's being tempted like this. Which again, like you said, I don't understand the theology behind this of of a posthumous or semi posthumous temptation that she's being faced with. And and this fight over her soul after she's already, you know, she's not dead yet, but she's almost dead and she's being tempted, I guess. I mean, in a certain way, though, you can say, you know, we say in, in, in our theology that every moment of life is precious because there remains as long as a person is alive. So meaning that we, we pr protect life even uh, when it seems like there's no hope that Chaye Shah, that we're Mechal Shabbos even on Chaye Shah, and that the value of that Chaye Shah is the existence of Bechira Chofshis. And it would seem that even a person may be in, in a comatose state, I guess that's what's kind of being represented here. I don't know if, again, if that's exactly the theology that Williams is trying to bring out here, but it seems like 
that's essentially what he's saying that even though she's in this comatose state she can still either she can still be damned to hell and lose her salvation by making a choice that's all in the oilum of demyonis that's all in a world of imagination and fantasy that she can or that and and also that's a big muster there to show that all of the things of and of the city that's what what's represented by that you know all of those things are just demyonis that and, and so too in this world everything is demyonis so it's a big type of a muster that that's being brought out here in this obviously it's a very christian uh movie but it's not but the theology is just i don't even know where it comes from it seems it's almost like a theology that Williams made up on his own. It's not, it, you know, it, it's very hard to understand what the moral is here. And in a way, that's, I think, the powerful part of this movie is that it's so ambiguous and it's, and it's, it's not something that's very clear, you know, of, because it's not that lesson of, you know, that is the classical evangelical idea of just being saved and then, you know, you're, you could be sure of your salvation. It's it's a type of. It's, it's, Does she have a chance through her choice to come back to life with her husband, or yes, it's spoiling yes. too much? Okay, I but, mean we could spoil it. I don't I don't know how many people are going. No, no, people don't want people. People want to have some drama, and they don't want they don't want necessarily things uh, spoiled for them. Um, but it would seem again, uh, I haven't seen it. it it's definitely. Um, despite its amateurishness, it sounds like it's ambitious. And it strikes uh, me, you know, what it reminded me of was, especially when they were praying over her, it, it struck me to, it reminded me of uh, Maurice Schwartz's Tevye. And when you see the, the mother, you know, crying and, and saying, God for Avram, and it's, and, and the representation in a Jewish film made by Jews of of Jewish culture yeah. and religion. Here you had a black film of that time for a black audience made by black filmmakers representing what black religion was, not even necessarily trying to make a theological point, but just representing real, raw, uh, authentic, you know, Southern christian black culture of that era and it's a it's a definitely a historical curiosity i understand that some of his funding to make these movies actually came from the catholic church which is very interesting because it's very obvious that these were baptists and yet mm. the catholic church i guess felt they had a vested interest perhaps in ensuring that yeah. the african-american population you know stayed close to religion there was always, yeah. I think, the fear that even white the white churches had that you know, it's good that the, the it's good that those darkies are 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 are, are Bible thumpers. Otherwise, we would have a lot of uh, trouble on our hands. And I think that might be again. I'm looking at it very cynically, but that right. might be one of the reasons why they felt this is a good cause. Say the film has some humor in it. Is it is the is is it like Stefan Fetch type of humor? No. It isn't like you have the black characters acting ridiculous, right? You no, don't they're, have they're, they're, I mean it would it would seem anachronistic today, but it's not it, it's obviously not intended to be offensive. It's it's in, and it's not playing it's not a minstrel show for a white audience. 
this is made by blacks for black i understand know? and and so and it it you know it, it it showcases talent of the church singing and also of the they had a dancer a woman who was doing an acrobatic dance in the nightclub that was actually it's very strange type of a thing and and uh, also that was kind of the archetype of of sin and vice uh, in this in this film is not meant to to satirize blacks but it is meant to speak to them where they are and as i said as these urban theaters wherever they were they were they were not that removed from life in the deep south so this would resonate with them whether it actually mirrored exactly their religious sensibilities the people watching this film would nod in familiar in a familiar way yeah. it, and, certainly, and a, it certainly was anti-urban it was it was making the statement of you know the blacks who left the south to go to the big city and and thinking that they're going to find you know prosperity or something or or get away from racism and things it was making a statement of you know stay in your ghetto well not the ghetto stay in your in your rural setting where you can be close to god and it, it's definitely condemning, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, yeshiva's krachim kosher type of idea of saying, you know, they, don't go to the city. The city is hell. Stay in Zion. Zion is the, is the deep south, the bayou, wherever, you know, that's Zion, you know, that's the. Mm. And so the other movie that I watched was the it was only. Another, it was another film that was uh, written by, but not directed by Spencer Williams, but he starred in it. Or one, yeah. he was one of the stars. Was yeah. son of in son of in Gaji. Yeah. So uh, a strange movie. Also, some re- religious tones. It opens up with a wedding. And it's about a newlywed couple who. Now, let, let, let's just let's just make pe- people understand that there was a film called In Gaji um, that uh, came out in 1930, right? Um, and Very it did it type of film, and, right? and, and that. A, Right, this and that's, a, that does have uh, that does have African Americans playing uh, dangerous uh, tribesmen, uh, a virgin sacrificed to a huge gorilla. Um, so that was a film that I guess when uh, Spencer Williams and whoever was funding him was working on this film, they figured they could they could rip off the title because this is sort of connected to something like Ngaji, right? I guess so. I've never seen Ngaji, but I've heard it's it's quite uh you know pre-code very you know uh very lurid very um you know uh exploitative type of a movie and that movie is very interesting type of a movie because it's a you have a female black mad scientist who has this monster missing link type of creature that she brought back from africa when she was out doing some missionary work out in africa and she Apparently, this couple who gets married in the beginning of the movie, uh, she was, it seemed like she was in love with the girl's father, who she had actually introduced to the girl's mother. And she left, uh, you know, her estate to them and all kinds of interesting things. And when she gets killed, the the couple, the newlywed couple are are suspected of killing her. Uh, because she had left uh, a, a, a bequeathed an estate, her estate to them, and she also was fighting with her brother about uh, gold that she brought back from Africa, some twenty thousand dollars worth of gold that she brought back from Africa, and her crooked brother is trying to get 
half of that and uh and so there is a monster there right there is there is a yeah. monster yes. yeah and, and uh and the monster is killing people and they and they're accusing you know this newlywed couple of the murders when they, until they finally figure out and and williams is the detective who's figuring all of this out so i, I i'm just going to read from the from the uh from the poster that was meant to advertise this film um half man half beast all hell broke loose when the mad monster escaped son of ngaji with an all-star all-colored cast a richard c Kahn production distributed by sac amusement enterprises yeah, both, both of uh, these were sac amusement both of these movies right, were made right. and i and, and i would assume sac and richard Kahn are some of our tribesmen <laughs> who were who were profiting from the, these films um and if you look at the image of this poster, Yitzhak, you'll see that it's some, it's it's quite a lurid one as well. Um, and you know, it's 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 drawn like you know like a cartoon, but you can tell that this is also meant to try to get again the blacks. And so this this is sort of like a, a monster detective film. Yeah, um, it's the first uh, all black monster movie, and it's uh, and and it's a science fiction type of you know horror type of movie and it's uh you know it's it again it's not even to the quality of the poverty row movies that that i've been familiar with you know devil bat things like that you know but it's 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 of historical interest particularly for you know fans of the genre movies that i am to see that you know that these genres you know played into other places and this one really had it this this story could have been really totally done by a white cast. There's nothing really particularly black about this story. It's just that it happens to be have been done by an all black cast. I think that's really so. The, it really doesn't add much to uh, the theology or the uh, sociology of the the police involved, as opposed to Blood of Jesus, where there's no police involvement uh and and it's just and it's almost like you know black on black crime is 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 you know something that's ignored here you don't have that dynamic here you have and i guess part of it is that this is a little bit more of would seem to be some kind of an urban environment as opposed to a very rural environment where probably there really wasn't much i get it justice you know now i think about this weird um grafting of genres in films in the 30s and 40s where you know even you know a hard-boiled noir is going to have a song in it that's sung by some lounge singer there are songs in both of these films the first one especially in terms of the blood of jesus there you're going to have like in the clubs when she goes into New York, whatever that urban place is and i think there's some there's some music there's music in son of ngaji also right yeah. Also, there's also a nightclub scene uh, where uh, there's you don't have much of a music score, so which is kind of jarring is that how quiet the movie is when nobody's talking, but when but you do have a musical uh, uh, singing group. I don't know how uh, well known the Four Toppers is how or the Toppers is how they are um, how they're clearly they had to whatever it was. The, I think what we're saying is that this black audience, like the all colored audience who was going to go to see it, wanted to get a little bit of something, right? Again, this was a night out. Remember, you know, they're they're leaving an apartment that's probably crowded, it's probably hot. We don't know what month it came out. 
the, air, the theaters were air conditioned. The theaters were a place to go, a haven. And what they would get for an hour is, and maybe it was a double feature, some sort of entertainment that would somehow push the buttons. The question is like this, is this a Shanda for, the, for Black America? Are these, have these films been forgotten and not, have these films been forgotten and in a way despised, but incorrectly? I, are, these, I, are these films, let me ask the question, are these films important for the progress, to show the progress that Blacks have made, that, that where we've come from? Are they, are they meant to be a morality uh, message about, we don't want anything like this, let's just keep them in a museum to find out how terrible things were? How would you say one, especially a white person who is watching this, how should one look at these films? I mean, the history of these of these movies was that they were pretty much forgotten until BET brought them back. So it was the it was the black community that, you know, I mean, pretty much they're the ones who can decide how they want their history to be remembered. And there's certainly something to be said about these movies that were made for black audiences. These were not minstrel shows. These were not put down movies. These were. You know, and and I think for that reason, to also to show the ingenuity of what to do with such limited resources, because these are very amateurish movies. You know, they they almost feel like, uh, in some ways, like you know, a, a high school play or something. You know, but made by adults uh, only, not because of the talent, because again, the talent that was presented, especially even the amateur talent, was very good for what we're dealing with not all the acting is you know there's a lot of wooden and stilted acting but the and the stories you know sometimes don't make so much sense but the fact that just to put a movie together you know i mean i remember someone said you know when when we talk about some particularly horrible movies well could could you even put something like that together if you, you know if you're criticizing these movies and the accomplishment of Putting some, it's it's like Yeshma Ayan. It's you're taking something from really nothing and making these movies. Uh, I think it, they are accomplishments and it, they should be remembered in a way, you know, I, I think for Spencer Williams, particularly the fact that, you know, that which was forgotten, that he was a, a filmmaker and not only a, a sitcom actor, I think he deserves that part of his career to be remembered because he put you know this work into it and and the one thing that I was mentioning was that I think I forgot to really put in there was that they were they were successful that from five thousand dollars if he made you know uh, you right. know probably a hundred thousand dollars back the SAC corporation made some money um yeah. back and, you know I mean I, I'm sure these movies were played as was the the trend at the time these movies were probably still being played for for another 10 years. You know, it wasn't just when they had their release. These were I understand. You know, I understand. By the way, the four toppers were in another film called Mystery and Swing, <laughs> which was again uh, with a hundred percent all-star colored cast, thrills, chills, music, and girls. I mean, there were hundreds of these movies made from around 1915 until the last one that's known was about 1953 of an all-black movie. And the vast majority of them are lost. There's maybe about 100 
that are around. Uh, what, what's fascinating is, is that the black audiences wanted specifically all black cast. They actually understood innately that what was going on in the other Hollywood, the white Hollywood, where black actors, you know, whether, whether it was uh, Canada Lee or Juan o, uh, Hernandez or, or someone else who was getting Paul wrote their 10 cents down <laughs> to go spend the night watching. This was an attraction. It was an attraction to say it's an all-colored cast. And, so- I, and, and I think it's very much like the Yiddish cinema that was at that same time. Right. There was, a, in other words, you go to the familiar. You go to something, and 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 it's possible. I think what we need to say is, although we need to bemoan, even a what I would say is a liberal-minded person like Preston Sturgis has. Uh, figures in his films, even in his masterpiece, Sullivan's Travels, he has, you know, a, a black character that uh, basically ends up being your typical buffoon. Whereas these films, although, you know, some of them might be a little bit, um, as you say, you know, condesc- there might be some condescension there, but it would seem that these films treated their black characters uh, and their story with more respect. Um you know, when I told my, my friend, the producer at TCM, that you were going to be doing this, he said, what movie are you talking about, like Cabin in the Sky? Now, Cabin in the Sky is really the exceptional film that was actually targeted for white audiences. Cabin in the Sky had a, uh, was a, had a great budget, of course. It had the, uh, the, I guess, MGM who made that film wanted to sort of say, well, wow, we're making some money. These Poverty Row films or whatever, whoever, which studio was making them, let's try a, a all black film and see if we can go mainstream. It's like how how they just again you know obviously they're always looking of how to make some money. And is cabinet in the sky painful to watch for blacks today? I'm not sure. Um, you know, again, it's an all colored cast, so to speak. But but they figured, hey, let's try this and and let's put a lot of great production values in it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, yeah. which, which never happened with with the with the Yiddish uh, theater with the Yiddish uh, cinema, you know that that never happened. You didn't have any, you know, it, it was all Jews running the Hollywood, but they didn't they didn't want any Jewish stories, you know, for a long time. That white audiences didn't hate black characters. There was an appreciation of the tremendous talent that the black singers and actors had. And of course, uh, I'm sure somebody f- from that community would say, well, of course, you know, sing Negro, dance Negro, you know, uh, you know, you, you need to, you need to entertain your white masters. I think that's the way they look at it, but I, I'm trying to be a little more, um, I guess in, in a way, trying to be a, li- a little more understanding that there, there was that the moguls, Jewish mavens, whoever understood that there was a way uh, to have black talent reach out and and benefit that black talent as well. Obviously, there needed to be a tremendous amount of social change, and society needed to alter itself because these same actors and actresses weren't able to stay in the same hotels, or 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 maybe even enter the same theaters where the movie was showing. Um, but I, I, I think to dismiss completely these films as part of a segregationist uh mentality uh, as something you know the, you know as george wallace's home movies I, I think is wrong um cabin in the sky uh uh is, is is just proof that black entertainment really is is again one of the ways 
that black culture and black people in general, I think, uh, can get a foothold in in the greater society in a way that they could for the betterment uh, of everyone. Now, I now th- it definitely did not proceed so in such a linear fashion. But I think that that's why I think these you know these the the black films, although you're you're right, they're just to get blacks into the seats. I think the people in Hollywood seeing the money come in and watching some of these films realized uh, that there needed to be more blacks on the screen. Unfortunately, uh, it, 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 it took uh, about twenty five years, you know, for that to happen in a way. Uh, that was meaningful. And, and and really, I think what you need to probably complement the period that we're talking about to the black exploitation films of the late 60s and, and early and mid 70s. These films were also targeted for an urban audience, um, whether it was Blackula or, uh, you know, or, or these other films. And, 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 and in a way, they sort of, people look at them today also as demeaning but I, but I think there I think there was a similar dynamic uh, that was at play there um, in the black exploitation films, um, and, and there was also a way. I, again, I I'm reaching here because I I'm not from that community, but I think what I remember from the '70s was people liked people liked walking around saying they're superfly, right? Um, Shaft, of course, was a, an attempt uh, with Richard Roundtree to have a sort of a black hero break through and then you know that's why shaft was was a very important film not only not only the the theme music that everybody knew but also the basic character of having you know a black detective uh who you know who could be someone that could be a rugged star even for uh a a multiracial arc of 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 where what how filmmaking reflects what's going on in society you know the 70s was a period where you know there was a there was a, a loosening of the bonds completely, and you know I, I think you know there's no more the black exploitation films. I don't think are are being, you know, they obviously don't they weren't made for that long, but I think they ushered in an era. Uh, whether you know where since you know the late the the early eighties and nineties, where black characters have become uh, a standard. And we do have films that 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 you know you don't have to say it's an all black cast, but you have films that are primarily about black society. And again, it would seem that these films, in the present time, are being seen by and enjoyed by peoples of <laughs> everywhere. Uh, even though, thank you for really making me aware, and hopefully our listeners aware of that this treasure trove. A place to really look, sort of like almost like a documentary, and uh, and as we know, film in many ways preserves for us those images of, of what life was like. Uh, it's it's obviously done in a Hollywood style or in a barely Hollywood style, um, and I think if if one realizes that these images are are you know, are artificial but still reflections of what life was like and of, of of where people's mentality was i think film is a wonderful time capsule uh, obviously document even documentaries it's like as we know and we've talked about this on this program are in themselves um fictionalized and structured in order to sell a certain point of view so in many ways these films um whether they're the 
uh, 40s films or the black exploitation films of the 70s, uh, in some ways, I think, uh, reflect even a, a more true sense of where we were as a nation and in our relations with the with, with African. All right, my friends, that's it. So we hopefully, I think next week, I think Yitzhak and I are going to uh, go into a film, that, the films that represent, um, let's say, the traditional Hollywood studio trying to deal with uh, race relations. Um, and uh, we're going to try to highlight um, some films next week. Um, specifically uh, uh, what some people consider a masterpiece from John Ford. Others uh, uh, defame it as really a, a very hollow attempt. Uh, and um, we'll talk about everybody's favorite uh, uh, film about white and black relations from the early 60s um, to kill a mockingbird. So we'll <laughs> hopefully uh, we'll I, so watch your step on the way and everybody we'll catch you again next week. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.